We are recording. Okay. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Double Down, a WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Nemchak, alongside Stephen Trinkwald, as always. We're just rolling right along with our team overviews, our team recaps and previews. Stephen, today we're going to talk about the Phoenix Mercury um, team that was probably a little bit disappointing last season. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. They kind of went through a couple uh, identity changes sort of midway through the season and never really, I feel like, kind of found what, what they were looking for. Yeah, I mean, they finished eighth in the league, so they, they quote-unquote earned that eighth seed. They went 15-19, and 19, net rating of negative 1.2, eighth. Offensively, they were eighth, 98.3 points scored per 100 possessions. Defensively, they were tied for seventh, 99.5 points allowed per 100 possessions. Just pretty mediocre across the board, I'd say. Um, and disappointing, I say, because... Like they were never really the championship contender that I think a lot of team, a lot of people expect them to be. Although Diana Taurasi, you know, obviously one of the greatest players of all time, had she really struggled with injuries throughout the whole season. But I mean, just seeing this team fall to eighth, and then you know, obviously they got blown out by Chicago in the first round of the playoffs. I don't think that's really how many people expected the season to go for the Mercury. But uh, they made some significant changes in the off season. But uh, first, let's talk about what went wrong for the Mercury and in 2019. Uh, Where'd you like to start with that? Yeah. And it's wild too, because, you know, you kind of think of the individual factors, you know, with last year, of course, you mentioned Diana Taurasi pretty much having a lost season, but Brittany Griner finished second in MVP. They got this kind of amazing season out of Leilani Mitchell, which, you know, most of which we'll save for our Washington episode, but could never predict the the kind of output that, that she put out last year. And yet they still kind of never really sort of found it on either end. So, you know, just kind of as a, an overview, offensively, they were uh, number one in transition efficiency uh, and yet 12th in frequency. This was a team that like never got out and ran at all. Dewana Bonner, I think, had like a third of their tra- transition possessions or something like that. They were third in half court efficiency. So mm-hmm. interesting to think about, they were eighth in total offense, despite being number one in transition efficiency and number three in half court efficiency. And they were in the half court more than more frequently than any other team. So it really just speaks to something that we talk about all the time, how much more efficient transition offense is than playing in the half court. Uh, They were, of course, number one in the league in post-up efficiency. No surprise there. Brittany Griner is, you know, a premier post-up center in the league, obviously. Uh, Number two in frequency, number two in offense, including passes out of the post. Also number two in frequency there, so efficiency and frequency. And surprisingly, only eighth in frequency in shots around the rim. So despite all those post-ups, you know, the other players just weren't really getting to the, the rim in terms of, you know, dribble penetration and stuff like that. Uh, they were number two in both efficiency and frequency in terms of plays finished by the pick and roll ball handler. You know, Leilani Mitchell, a player we'll talk about in our Washington episode, a huge contributor there. You know, just an amazing pick and roll season. As a team, they were second in free throw attempt rate. Uh, no surprise here, 12th in offensive rebounding. They were the second lowest in terms of frequency on very long twos. Those shots 16 to 21 feet. So that's good. And they had the fourth lowest turnover percentage on offense and the second lowest opposing steal percentage. So not a team that really kind of gave it up in terms of open court opportunities for the other team. You know, as you go over those, those statistics, it really does kind of fit with our, our brand. It's kind of becoming our brand, right? Like you got, you got to get on transition as much as possible because those, those possessions are so valuable. Like they're, they're really up there in most of these half court offensive categories, especially like, what, what stood out to me was that they were both really good at getting to the free throw line and they didn't really turn the ball over that much. So you would think that a team that, you know, gets those easy points to the free throw line and doesn't 
give away possessions that often, you'd think that they'd be a really efficient offensive team. And in the half court, yeah, that's true. But they just, as a, as a team, I feel like they were just kind of lethargic. They didn't really have much of an athletic advantage over many other teams, especially like in, in transition when in the open court. Of course, you know, I, I remember seeing the, the sky uh, really blow them out twice late in the season, both in September and then uh, in the first round of the playoffs, just because the sky were able to get out in transition and the Mercury just had, had no answer for that type of game. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is a shame kind of how they sort of approached offense last season in that regard. And you mentioned it, they just, they did not have an athletic advantage. You know, I guess in some ways, you know, Brittany Grenner has an athletic advantage over a lot of the players that, you know, she's playing with. But if she's not running the open court, then it's not really doing anything. And, and she is a just a, a phenomenal transition player when she actually gets out and runs. But, you know, it just doesn't really happen that frequently. And and you mentioned that that's a good way to illustrate it because they are, you know, right around average or better in just about every individual you know, half court play type, but those plays are just inherently less effective and less efficient than getting out and running in advantage situations and, and taking advantage of, you know, the open court. And, you know, they just didn't really have kind of the horses to do that last season. And I think that's really going to change with, you know, some of the roster changes they, they made coming into this season. Which we will, of course, go over later. But uh, let's, let's keep talking about 2019 for, uh, for a few minutes. You mentioned Brittany Griner. This is obviously a huge, huge, huge reason why there was such a post-up heavy team. Um, I don't think it'd be much of a going out of much of a limb to say that they will continue to be a post-up heavy team as long as BG is on this roster. And Steven, I find it interesting that because when Griner first came into the league, she was known as this like transcendent shot blocker. She basically, you know, th- they won't admit this, but there's a reason why the WNBA implemented de- a defensive three seconds rule the first year Brittany Griner was in the league. Um, but I almost feel like now she's, she's become a better offensive player than a defensive player. Would you agree with that? I mean, she's so good. Like looking at these synergy metrics, she's so good in the post. I mean, I would agree with that, but mostly I think for her, it's kind of where she's been focusing a lot of her attention. You know, I think if she decided for a 34 game season that she just wanted to be 2013, 2014 defensively, Brittany Griner, she would probably be as good as ever. Maybe not, you know, a 10% block rate or something insane. Like she was posting early in her career, but you know, 2018, she still had, 6% 6% block rate. Like that's still sure. pretty, pretty dang good. But, you know, I think it is just uh, something where she's focusing her attention a little bit more offensively and quote unquote, saving herself for, for the playoffs or whatever. But I mean, she's one of the two or three best offensive players in the league. Like there's no doubt about it. She was in the 96th percentile as an offensive player in her own offense last season. You know, I mentioned she's unstoppable in transition, 99th percentile, albeit on very low volume, really wish she got out and ran more but 95th percentile in the half court. So it doesn't really matter what type of game she individually is playing. Like she's going to score on you. And we, we talked about it a couple weeks ago on the aces episode, but Griner and Cambage, those were kind of like the two dominant post centers last year. Griner uh, was in the 88th percentile as a post player. Um, but we kind of talked about it at that point, you know, there weren't a lot of players really putting up any kind of like the volume that that Cambage and Griner were putting up, you know, both of those players over, you know, 200 plus post possessions there were pretty much three players in the league that finished plays on post-ups with high frequency and were still able to be above one point per possession like post-ups inherently are are a pretty inefficient play but Griner had over 330 possessions as a post-up which is you know 100 more than Liz Cambage who was second and she was still able to be just an absolutely effective post-up player like most of the other players that are so high in efficiency on post-ups are like 
the players that are like really able to kind of get down there once in a while and like take advantage of a mismatch if they get a smaller player on them, sure. you know, mouse in the house type situation. But this is like her offense, obviously. Like, you know, it, it doesn't really matter what you do if you come double, if, you know, you're trying to front. She's she's going to get the ball down there and she's, this is the hub of Phoenix's offense the last few seasons. You know, you mentioned her kind of transition from more of a defensive focused player to an offensive focused player her usage and assist percentage have both skyrocketed the last three seasons. You know, her usage is around 28 or so after being close to 22 early on assist percentage all the way up to 18% last season. So including those passes, she's in the 85th percentile as an offensive player, like probably not as effective as Liz Cambage as just as a passer, but you know, Liz is also surrounded by better talent. I would say, I mean, she's what, what more can you say about her? She is an absolute force and outside of Elena Deladon and, Brianna Stewart, probably the best offensive player in the league. And uh, Liz Cambage, of course, is not playing this season. She decided to sit out. So I think, I think it's going to be Brittany Griner by a country mile as far as post-up possessions are concerned. Like, of course, with having Diana Chirazi back and now Skylar Diggins-Smith in the fold, the Mercury might have a little more of a balanced offense. But as, as you're going over those metrics, it's like, how do you not continue to feature Brittany Griner the most extensively in your offense? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing you kind of look at is like let's get our volume up a little bit more as a, a pick and roll player just a, a little bit easier kind of more players feel involved that way but you know other than that I mean keep doing what you're doing because she is unstoppable what what do the Mercury need to do to get her more effectively involved in the pick and roll why was that not a thing for them last year I mean one thing I would say is you know they they ran pick and rolls a, a pretty decent amount you know she had 35 percent of her possessions finished in pick and roll and she was very effective there 80th percentile so it is definitely something that they they go to, but I think they're with, you know, maybe a more balanced floor coming into this season than they had last season. You know, obviously Leilani Mitchell had a terrific season last year, but just overall the body of work that, that Skylar Diggins-Smith brings to Phoenix as someone who can get all the way to the rim and finish really well for a player her size. I think she's, you know, a more pick and roll reliant guard than more effective in different ways than, than what Leilani Mitchell brought to the, the court last year. Sure. Although you, you were going to say uh, Leilani Mitchell was terrific in getting her own offense out of the pick and roll last year. Oh, uh, she was amazing. Like I, I can't even believe like how, how good she was um, for a player who, you know, for the last couple of years looked like she was sort of trending downward, but in terms of what she brought to the floor, she was, you know, in the 99th percentile as a pick and roll ball handler, at least in her own offense last year. And uh, you know, she was, you know, really hit her, her open jump shots, you know, 93rd percentile in spot ups. So, the offensive production that they got out of Leilani Mitchell after, you know, cutting her to start the season to make it under the, the cap to start the year, it, it's just incredible what, what they were able to get from her. Yeah, good enough to win her a second most improved player award. She also won it back when she was in New York. So uh, take that for what you will. Uh, that, that award is kind, of, is kind of funky for me. But so, there, so Leilani Mitchell is out. She signed with the Washington Mystics. But uh, as you mentioned, they did get a pretty darn good point guard in Skylar Diggins-Smith, which I expect is going to make their offense look a little more or less one-dimensional. Yeah, and I, I kind of wanted to ask you this. In terms of Skylar Diggins-Smith, obviously, you know, she played that one season in 2018 with Liz Cambage. Do you, do you have a kind of a feel for which center sort of more fits what Skylar Diggins-Smith brings to the table? If, you know, the, the Griner-Diggins-Smith pairing will be more effective than, you know, the 2018 Dallas Wings? I don't know, like the 2018 Dallas Wings, that was a pretty effective pairing, Diggins Smith and, and Cam Beige, just because of how much Cam Beige can do, you know, with the basketball, you mentioned uh, passing-wise. 
But I think as far as it goes, like for, a, for this team's offense, making it not so like, okay, we're dumping the ball down to the post every single time and, and seeing what happens from there. I do think it's going to help the Mercury be a little less one-dimensional, as I said, because Skyro Diggins can do so much of the shot creation on her own. I feel like she's one of the best guards in the league, even though we missed her sitting out last season. She's still going to be one of the best guards in the league as far as creating shots off the dribble, getting into the paint, getting to the free throw line. And that's one thing that the Mercury were really, really, really missing last season. So even if she's not directly playing like a two-woman game with, with Brittany Griner, she's going to have a, a very big effect on this offense. Does that, does that answer the question or did I kind of cheat? No, I think you, uh, that, that answers the question. And for me personally, like I do think Griner is a little bit more of a, a player made for kind of what Diggins Smith brings as a pick and roll player, just because, you know, she is a little bit more effective as a roller and a little bit more willing as a roller and just brings a little bit more of, you know, athleticism on the catch, a little bit more of a catch radius in terms of, you know, making the passes a little bit easier. So, right, right. you know, I think it is a little bit better of a pairing. You know, I guess Cambage nominally spaces out uh, a little bit more than, than Griner. But in terms of, you know, what Diggins Smith can, can bring to the floor, you know, she's someone that is going to get all the way to the rim. 57.7% shooting within five feet on almost 35% frequency her last two seasons in the league. Really only had one plus season as a shooter in 2017, which is probably, you know, her best overall season, I would say. But in 2017, 95th percentile overall as an offensive player, including her passing, 97th percentile in the half court, 56th percentile in transition. You know, not amazing transition numbers either of the last two seasons, but, you know, she's willing to at least get out and run, which is more than we could say about really any of the players that they had last year. So, but she's also an extremely effective offensive player in the half court. So it'll be interesting to see if she kind of brings with her that transition volume or if she you know, kind of plays more to her strengths as a half-court player in a system like Phoenix is that really wants to kind of slow it down. So I think you can make the case that Skylar Diggins-Smith is, is going to flourish either way. Um, it's, it's going to be a matter of, do you, do you make the system conform to the player or the player conform to the system? But in, a, in the case of Skylar Diggins-Smith, like I said before, I, I think she's still going to be an elite player as far as getting to the rim and, and drawing that contact. And as we talked about earlier in transition, even if you are a mediocre efficiency player in transition, those possessions as a whole are still so much more valuable than half-court possessions. So let me ask you this. Diana Tarazi is coming back, right? Like she's, she, that's a pretty big deal too. How do you see her and Skylar Diggins-Smith fitting together? Because Skylar Diggins-Smith throughout most of her years has been the alpha in the backcourt, right? But uh, you know, Diana Tarazi, still a pretty big deal. You know, honestly, I think it'll be a better fit than maybe it would have been two years ago when like Diana Trozzi was still, even though she was a little bit older, like at the peak of her powers almost, uh, and really kind of wanted to play with the ball in her hands at this stage in her career, maybe a little bit more willing to take on a secondary role. You know, she's obviously a more credible floor spacer than Skylar Diggins-Smith. So, but you know, there's also the opportunity where if they are both very effective this season, you know, you can just play them together as little as possible if the overlap doesn't work and make sure one of them is on the court at all times. So, you know, Sandy Brondell, I think, is a, a pretty good coach. Again, probably not the, the best pairing of perimeter players in the world in terms of how, you know, congruous their games are, but I think it'll work, especially with how most of these other teams, frankly, are, are missing some of their best players. So just kind of having the talent out there is going to be a huge advantage this year. Yeah, that's that, that's one thing I wanted to get to later. Like, I wasn't. I thought Phoenix was honestly a little overrated by by the draft. Um, but as things are shaking out now, like 
first of all, they have, they've had no players opt out, which is pretty huge. And they do have that core just that's, that's still – the talent is, is a good enough fit where I think it's all going to come together and they're going to be a force. Uh, one thing about Diana Tarazi, like she's 38 years old and she's coming off a season that's just been plagued with injury, like those nagging injuries. I think it was her, her back and her hamstring, or maybe I had that in reverse. But, you know, she's done a good job modernizing her game since she took the 2015 season off. And every season since then, she's taken far more three-pointers than she has two-pointers. In fact, when you said, uh, when you brought up her, her 2017 kind of renaissance season, she had a career high in both true shooting percentage and effective field goal percentage. Sorry, that was in 2018. But I thought that was amazing for a 36-year-old player at the time. Um, even if she's not able to do that again, I agree she's still going to be – like, we have Diana Tarazi just as a floor spacer. That's still pretty good. Um, obviously, you're going to want her with the ball in her hands as well. But I, I think it's, it's going to work out, especially, like you said, given these, these opt-outs and, and the volatile situation that the league is in right now. This, is a, this team is looking pretty good, I would say. Yeah, and I agree with something that you had mentioned before. Like coming into the opt out period, you know, I had Phoenix fourth or fifth tier, you know, maybe going to make the playoffs. And now I have them in the second tier. You know, I, I think they have as good of a shot as anyone to win the championship only because they're going to have all their players. You know, I think <laughs> as of right now, I would still probably consider Seattle the favorite and, and LA kind of right around there. But my, my second tier right now is Phoenix and Chicago. Uh, and obviously you had mentioned before, like those two t- teams in particular, like Chicago is just such a bad matchup for Phoenix because they have such an athleticism advantage. But, you know, it's especially with Brittany Griner in particular and, and some of the other kind of premier centers around the league sitting out, you know, John Quo Jones, and you had mentioned before Liz Cambage, this is an opportunity for Griner to kind of really dominate in, in, you know, obviously she's been dominating for a long time, but if there was ever a chance for her to, you know, kind of still her first MVP, this is probably the season. Okay. So I, I feel like I've been saying this like for the past three or four years. And I'm like, okay, this is the year that Brittany Grant is going to win MVP. And then something goes out and I look really dumb, but I agree with that. Like this is, she's I think going to feast this year, even more than ever, just with all these, like who's, who's going to be matching up against her now besides, you know, maybe Sylvia Falls. But again, we, as we talked about, she still is getting up there too in age. So but I, I kind of wanted to talk about something like you said there are Chicago's a bad matchup for them. Do you still think that's the case? Cause Phoenix did get a little quicker. They did get a little more athletic. I mean, they made a lot of, they made a lot of acquisitions on kind of on the fly in the off season. I feel like it's, I feel kind of weird talking about this now because yesterday when we were recording, we were talking about New York and there's like all these young players or whatever these, all these rookies are talking about. Phoenix has no rookies. They have, um, they traded their first round draft pick in uh, Jocelyn Willoughby for Shatori Walker Kimbrough, ending Walker Kimbrough's like three day stint as a New York Liberty. Um, and of course, they also acquired Nia Coffey and Kia Vaughn. They're rolling with Sophie Cunningham and Alana Smith, hoping that they show a little bit more than they did in their rookie season and uh, hopefully building on some Brianna Turner action as well. So, what do you kind of make of this team moving into 2020? Like, how much better did they get? In a vacuum, like, I don't think they got a ton better. You know, honestly, like, is Skylar Diggins-Smith that much better of a player than Dewana Bonner? Like, you know, I would consider Skylar Diggins-Smith probably, like, the third best point guard in the league. Um, Dewana Bonner is probably, like, the second best small forward in the league if, if she's playing that position. So I, I don't really think they got that much better. Like, Brian January is a good player. Leilani Mitchell is a good player. I mean, what, what do you think? Do you think that they got considerably better? I think their one chance of being better is having Diana Trossi like healthy. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from on that. Um, 
one thing I keep thinking about is when they made the Skylar Diggins Smith trade and all due respect, of course, to Skylar Diggins Smith, but there are some, there, there are a lot of tweets going viral saying like, Oh, the Mercury have a big three. Now they have a big three. Now like is Dewana Bonner not considered an elite player anyway? Like where were you? But uh, I think for me, they're able to cut a lot of, this is going to come off badly, but dead weight from the roster. You have it later in your notes, like their power forward rotation last year of Camille Little and Sancho Little was just not effective whatsoever. Essence Carson on, on the downside of her career, three on January, like probably not a very explosive player, player anymore. And as we talked about on the Connecticut episode, she was kind of relegated just to being like a purely a spot up shooter. And that's not to say like, they, they, like they got Jessica Breland to play power forward. I think we could both agree that she's not what she once was either, especially offensively. But, you know, with the additions of Diggins Smith, Bria Hartley, and Shatori Walker-Kimbrough in particular, I think we both like her. I think they're at least going to be able to not be a total non-factor in the full court and maybe be a little bit more balanced offensively. But, yeah, I mean, you said it. If Diana Chirazi isn't healthy, I don't see this team winning a championship. If she is, that's going to make all the difference. I'm not really sure where to go from there. Well, let's talk about the power forward spot, and then maybe we'll get to some of the um, let's call it backcourt depth that they got, you know, to play to complement Skylar Diggins Smith and Diana Trossi. You know, I'm just as worried about this power forward spot with this season than I was last season. Like, I don't think Jessica Breland is a starting caliber player. I think there's, you know, a subset of WMEA fans and writers that, you know, think that Breland is this great fit because she can allegedly space the floor. You know, the last three seasons, she's taken 44% of her shots from long two and she shot just under 42%. Like if you're taking half your shots from long two and hitting 42%, that's below average efficiency for even a half court play. And teams aren't going to not double Brittany Griner because you're a 42% shooter from long two. You know what I'm saying? Like this is a player who was in the 16th percentile in spot up situations last season, because even though she is making long twos just as good as anybody else makes long twos, like everyone else is taking threes in those spot ups or attacking closeouts. Like, so yeah, she was in the 77th percentile on jumpers, 17 feet to the three point line in the half court. So from an efficiency standpoint, 0.848 points per possession. That's the equivalent of being the 23rd percentile on three point jump shots in the same setting. So those shots obviously are just not good shots. It doesn't make you an effective player just because you can hit long two-pointers as well as other people hit long two-pointers. Like, yeah, I worked with Candice Dupree living off mid-rangers for a season, but Candice Dupree was scoring one point per possession on jump shots 16 feet and in, and (laughs) Jessica Breland is less than half of a point per possession on those. So, like, these are not the same. Jessica Breland is, without a doubt, an offensive liability and someone that, if you're an opposing team, you love to have as the power forward because it means you can give two bigs attention towards Brittany Griner. I, am I wrong here? No, you're not wrong. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jessica Breland because, you know, she, she gave us a lot of good years in Chicago, but I can't disagree with you on, especially last season, like she was such a liability on offense. And you mentioned like, are you going to give up the jump shot to, in order to double Brittany Griner? Absolutely. I am. I can let Jessica Breland shoot the ball 15 times a game. If, if it means denying a post entry to Brittany Griner, we just talked about how Brittany Griner's post up game is, is extremely effective. And then I, I think like maybe even defensively, she's fallen off a little bit too. We, we talked about this extensively on the Atlanta episode, but that was a while ago. So we can kind of rehash a little bit. I thought she was like first team, all defense worthy two seasons ago. The last season kind of fell off a little bit. She's still got the length. I feel like to at least be a little disruptive down there. But if, if they're looking for like Freeland to play heavy minutes at the power forward position, 
and be this elite defensive front court partner to an elite shot blocker in Brittany Griner and kind of plug those holes defensively. I'm not so sure that's, that's very realistic. And also, you know, Breland ranked very well defending post-ups last season, but she was also playing with, you know, a little bit of an undersized center with Elizabeth Williams, who would maybe play a little bit more of a, a help role and kind of play off, you know, some players that way. But now you're playing alongside Brittany Griner, who is going to be, you know, the primary post-up defender and is always going to kind of be in that area you know she's not guarding out in the perimeter so you know I, I just don't think her skill set and and I do think you know Breland is at this point in her career a liability defending on the perimeter so you know let's use this as an opportunity to maybe talk about Brianna Turner who I think should maybe get the bulk of the minutes at at the starting power forward spot you know not a player similar to Breland who is going to give you credible floor spacing but but what did you think of Brianna Turner's rookie season last year? I was impressed. I feel like Brianna Turner, her game is like, she didn't really try to do anything that I felt she couldn't do. You know, she yeah. really played within herself. She knew what her strengths were. And I don't know if this is her, if it's good coaching or whatever, but she came in and like, you know, you knew what you're getting out of Brianna Turner. It wasn't, she wasn't like a, a super well-rounded offensive threat, but for a player like her, she didn't need to be. You know, I felt like she was, she gave good energy. She gave a heck of a lot more athleticism than the other veterans uh at that spot did she should block some shots she can get some offensive rebounds she just does a little bit of everything is that is that uh, not to be cliche but you know is that dirty work type of player yeah and it really kind of took her a little bit to come into her own in the phoenix rotation last year only two and a half minutes per game through july 14th and then 25 and a half minutes per game from july 30th on so she was a huge part of kind of when they transitioned from playing duana bonner at the four primarily you know, with three kind of more perimeter players around her and Griner to, uh, you know, moving Bonner back to the small forward and, and playing with two traditional bigs. So you mentioned it. She's she's going to play within herself. 85% of her shots came from within five feet last year. All but two of her shots came from within the paint. Uh, and, and the Griner-Turner pairing, you know, despite Brianna Turner being a very paint and rim-bound offensive player, they were super effective. Like they had a 2.1 net rating with those two on the floor together, about 500 possessions per positive residual. And in all other lineups, they were negative 1.1. So it was not good defensively with those two on the floor. I think Turner has a long way to go as a defensive player, but Brianna Turner just always found the rim when when teams would go double on, on Brittany Griner. You know, she wasn't standing out at 18 feet pretending that that's a good shot. She was getting right to the basket and scoring on very easy layups that other people created for her. You know, she was pretty solid rolling to the rim. I, I thought this was interesting. Uh, about 84% of her field goals were assisted and literally all the other ones were putbacks on offensive rebounds. So she was not out there trying to create for herself or do anything other than, you know, finish plays that other people were creating for her, whether it is in the pick and roll or on a double team where she's just, you know, immediately cutting right to the basket. So, and she just gets herself to a spot where she didn't have to do anything unnecessary with it. Like you didn't see her taking unnecessary dribbles or putting the ball down on a pump fake, you know, she's just going to catch it and go up with it in one motion. Like she probably finished more alley-oops than, than any other player I saw last year. She finishes pretty well with both hands. Like, so, you know, obviously like defensively things need to change because she was not very good. And, and that pairing specifically was not very good. So, but she was also the one player on this team that brought any element of offensive rebounding. Elena Smith did, I, I guess, but she barely played. So I, I thought she was, you know, despite kind of the incongruous fit on paper, you know, her and Griner are both very paint bound and kind of have to be at the rim to be effective. You know, she just kind of played in a way where she, she made herself very valuable out there. 
Well, when, when you talk about a player who is, is very pain bound, I think this is something to consider. It's like, well, if the alternative is a player who is, you know, going to take a super inefficient long two point shot, is, is that really, is someone, is having someone who's also pain bound, is that really also a super bad thing, you know? Right. Um, and the other thing it, before, sorry, before I move on, but you know, she does at least give you something in transition. Like she had very good efficiency, you know, granted it was only 13 total possessions, but consider the other options, Camille Little and Sancho Little combined for four transition possessions all last season. So obviously veterans towards the end of their career, but you mentioned it, like she just gives you an athleticism that, that their options last year didn't and that Jessica Breland at this stage of her career doesn't. So I don't feel like I really got a, a good enough read on Alana Smith. Like obviously it was a disappointing rookie season, but like, how do you, you know, as someone who watched her in college, like how do you view her fit in this team? And like, do you think she can be an effective WNBA player? Well, disappointment is definitely a word to describe her rookie season. Uh, granted it was, she, she was injured for a lot of the time. So that's, but because like you look at the number of possessions, there was like nothing there. Like you, you can't draw a conclusion from that small of a sample size. I think when they when they picked her, they envisioned a a stretch four to pair with Brittany Griner, which offensively, like it sounds good. You know, that sounds like a good idea, right? But she just didn't make those shots, which is a problem. Um, I don't know. I, I think she's still kind of going to be blocked by Breland and Turner. Do I think she can be an offense uh, an effective WMA player? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to rule her out after one season, especially because she was hurt so much. But I think like. You know, like athletically speaking, she's not going to wow you. She's, she might be kind of a liability on defense. Like, again, like, I don't know. And you say I watched her in college. Well, she also was on the West Coast, <laughs> and I'm not. So she was playing at like 11 o'clock, and I'm not really watching basketball that often at that time. But, um, yeah, I can see why they want to give her another shot. You know, it's, it's, I think it's tough to say, okay, um, these 2020 draftees, well, we're not having a training camp, but we're going to put you on the roster anyway over a player who, you know, didn't really get me to reps last season. I think they're invested in her. So we'll see what she can do. She does have that three-point shot, supposedly, that Breland, Turner, and Vaughn don't. So I think if for no other reason than just versatility on the roster, you gotta, you got to give her a try. But I'm not sure how many minutes she's going to play this season. If there is one position, if there is one spot on the Mercury bench, like they are going with 11 players, which now, of course, with, with everyone opting out, is uh, doesn't seem like such a – such a bad thing, but I think she's going to be the one player who's going to struggle to really get consistent minutes. We'll see how, you know, someone like Nia Coffey does, but yeah, I don't think Elena Smith is going to play that much. Okay. Let's talk about some of those wing players. You know, they brought in Nia Coffey. They brought in, you know, Sophie Cunningham's returning from last season. They brought in Shatari Walker, Kimbrough, Bria Hartley. Any of those players, you know, jump out at you as somewhere to start off here? Honestly, no, because I, I feel like, a lot of these players are pretty lukewarm, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm the most excited about Shatoya Walker-Kimbrough just because she really does bring that transition game that we were, we have been harping on the Phoenix Mercury to, to get out and run a little bit more. She can do that. Yeah, Walker-Kimbrough, a pretty up and down body of work, I would say, over her three seasons in Washington and probably, you know, not even the perfect fit for what they need out of like a complimentary player, you know. But as you mentioned, she definitely will get out in, in transition and that is something they, they desperately need. So over 20% of her possessions in transition last year, pretty effective in those possessions as well. Really good finishing at the rim kind of overall, 63.8% within five feet. Although just in like the 51st percentile in the half court finishing. So that's still okay, but maybe kind of tells you that some of those finishing numbers were buoyed by that transition game a little bit. But, you know, for a guard, she, she gets to the line pretty well. But the thing is, she's probably not the shooter you would hope to 
have as someone who will be playing next to Skylar Diggins-Smith and Brittany Griner and very likely another traditional big who can't credibly space the floor. You know, only 31% on threes last year, 22nd percentile as a catch-and-shoot player. In spot-up situations, she was in the, the 19th percentile on no-dribble jumpers. So those numbers are, are really not encouraging. But, you know, I don't think her shot is like fundamentally broken. I think she can, you know, if given more of an opportunity, maybe can get that up to around 35% or so. And, and she is definitely something that can attack closeouts effectively. You know, there's no doubt about that. I think she can definitely get to the rim. Still managed to be above average in efficiency last season, despite that poor shooting from the outside. And that's because, you know, along with getting to the rim, she shot 51% on two-pointers. So that's pretty awesome. You know, not a lot of guards are going to shoot 51% from two-pointers. And, and she was really a very effective pick-and-roll player last year. Not sure how much is, of that is going to translate over to, to this team that doesn't have, you know, historically good spacing. Um, but she was in the 94th percentile in her own offense last year, 89th percentile, including passing, uh, so again, this isn't going to be as favorable for her, you know, even in those bench lineups in Washington where they still had just four or five floor spacers at all time. But, you know, we'll, we'll get to this a little bit in terms of some of their other acquisitions, but I hope she does play the backup point guard and kind of gets more of the creation duties instead of Bria Hartley. Uh, what, what do you think about that? That's an interesting proposal. That's, I honestly didn't think of that prior. Um, the one thing that you said that I wanted to address it's been pretty disappointing to watch Troy Walker Kimbrough develop or not develop as a shooter because in college she was so good. Like her, her, her last two seasons at Maryland combined, she shot 145 for 294 behind three-point range. That's a little above 49%. Like she was an elite three-point shooter at Maryland. And she's had three straight seasons in the WNBA where she's been like, uh, like decent to poor from three-point range. So – I don't know. Uh, I, I fear that she's just going to be used as like just a spot up shooter to help space the floor. But I, yeah, maybe use her as a pick and roll player too. I mean, the one thing that I keep going back to is that she is a fairly explosive player, but she's, she's a little slight. Like she's listed at five, nine. She's not really the, the bulkiest guard out there. So at first I thought, well, they could maybe play some three guard lineups, but uh I don't know if she'd really succeed at the three that well. So uh, you, you said you'd rather see her playing point guard over Bria Hartley. Is that something against Bria Hartley, or do you think just Chitori is better at that? I mean, I, I just think Hartley's kind of more of a wing in terms of her skill set, especially kind of how she fits in with, with this roster. You know, she's not really a great playmaker for others. You know, she can space the floor okay. Her ability to just kind of break someone down off the dribble and be kind of dynamic in that way. Like, I think you know, you have a little bit more upside with Shatori Walker-Kimbrough being able to just beat her player off the dribble and, and Bria Hartley able to play more of a complementary role, playing the two or the three. I think she has, you know, decent enough size to play against most threes. And, you know, she might be their best option at, at the three or, or Diana Trossi, depending on, you know, who you kind of want to slot there. But, you know, we'll, we'll get to this later. I, I don't really think Nia Coffey is any great shakes. So, you know, Bria Hartley is a, a player with, with some pretty good wingspan and is okay defensively on on the perimeter you know not amazing but yeah I, I i just don't think she really gives you much as a primary creator on offense even for a second unit point guard yeah i agree bria hartley is probably the first player i think of when i think of a player who like she can do a little bit of everything but she's not really great at anything if that's if that's fair to her um of course they did with much criticism pay her a ton of money this offseason as a free agent so uh, I know you, don't, you, you may kind of disagree with me on this, but I'll go back to it. Like, I, I think they're going to play her. And I, I think she's going to be the first guard off the bench. 
Unless they start her. Like, maybe maybe they could start her at the three or Tarazi as the de facto three. I, I, I don't know. How do you think the starting lineup is going to shake out? Well, I think, I think I would start her, to be honest. I think I would go Diggin Smith, Tarazi, Hartley as your perimeter players, and then Brianna Turner and Brittany Griner. You know, I really hope we get something out of Sophie Cunningham this season. She was not probably what she was hoping for in terms of a, a shooter last season. You know, 20th percentile as a catch-and-shoot player, as a player who nominally is supposed to be a floor spacer. Right. She made over 40% of her threes over the course of her college career. You know, she actually did get to the basket okay and stuff like that, got to the free throw line all right, but just didn't hit her threes like she was supposed to. And she had some really impressive numbers defensively. You know, I think she's fine defensively, but I don't think she's amazing. So unless they really get kind of a breakout season out of Sophie Cunningham, I think, you know, Hartley probably would be my starting three. Okay, yeah, and that's fair. What I was thinking is like, Diggin Smith, Tarazi, and Hartley, that, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty flexible backcourt. You have, you have three players who can each give you a little bit of everything. And then once one of Diggin Smith or Tarazi heads to the bench, then you could probably slide Bria Hartley over to that point guard. So like, you're not playing her heavy minutes as a point guard, but it's still, it's still okay. You, ideally, that's going against bench lineups. Regarding Sophie Cunningham, I think there are... I think there's room for her offensive numbers to get better and for her defensive numbers to get worse. Um, yeah. Like I, she was kind of, I, I don't want to say she, she was, she was kind of, she was playing heavily, heavily in blowouts and against bench lineups and garbage time. Like watching her play. I, I don't think she's going to be that great of a defender just because she's not, I hate to keep coming back to athleticism, but I mean, that's, that's a knock on her. That was a knock on her heading into the draft. It's like, are you going to be able to play her against these big fast players and not have her get run off the court? Well, yes, if she doesn't shoot like that poorly from three. So I think she's got room to regress to the mean on both ends of the floor. But um, I don't know. I don't think she's going to be like starting caliber either. And then Nia Coffey, it's like, I want to like Nia Coffey, but at the same time, we've seen her with several different teams now. What, what, what is she supposed to be good at, you know? Yeah, and like this is another player who, you know, has been talked about like nominally as a floor spacer. And you know, I'm not sure, you know, she 35.8% shooting from three, which would be very good if it sustains, but she's very, very low volume, 67 attempts in three seasons. She's a very poor free throw shooter so far and a very poor two point jump shooter so far in her career. So, you know, am I going to believe kind of the rest of the evidence that suggests that she's not a very good shooter or the 67 attempts that she happened to have shot 35.8% on, you know, she, she can't finish her on the basket at all. She's already on her third team in four seasons. I don't know. I'm not a huge believer in her. You know, she was in the 100 percentile, worth mentioning, defending pick and roll ball handlers on pretty low volume. So, you know, props to her for for doing that. But I don't see it personally. Yeah, I, I think Nia Coffey. She's a player who it's like you you see the the potential as she's got she's got she's got the frame for sure. Like she's big and strong, and she can handle a little bit. But I mean, I think her decision making still needs to get a lot better. And as far as the three point shot goes. I don't know, man. I'm more inclined to believe her, the greater volume of not so great three point shooting from her over the years. Maybe she's gotten better at it, and if if so, that's going to be a great benefit to this team. But otherwise, I you look at but, her, but you still got to take them, and you have to be respected out there. Like those yeah. are the two things. Like 67 total attempts in three seasons, like that's not enough. No, it's it's not it's not. Especially when you consider like the teams that she's been playing on. You know, can she be a a respected floor spacer in, in like this lineup? I wouldn't say so. You know, it, I think she, you, you look at her and you want to say, okay, this is going to be a good transition player because she's, she's big and she's strong and she can handle, but the statistics don't really back that up either. So uh, I think she would have to earn this spot. 
Yeah, so I, I think Shatori Walker Kimbrough would definitely be my first player off the bench, starting those other three players we mentioned before, Diggin Smith, Tarasi, and Hartley. And you know, the nice thing about those players, you know, other than maybe Diggin Smith, who's a, a straight point guard, you know, they all give you a little bit of versatility. Hartley can right. kind of play one three three. Walker Kimbrough can play the one or the two. Diana Tarasi can, you know, she's Diana Tarasi, so you get a little bit of flexibility out there, so you don't have to kind of play backups at all three of those positions. And then with the big lineup, hopefully Brianna Turner is the starter, I guess, but I don't know. I'm, I'm worried about it either way. It's not like I think Brianna Turner is going to solve all their issues if she plays, you know, full-time at, at the four. So, so you know, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but, but what do you expect from this team? Once again, all things considered, I expect them to finish in, in the top four. Like I said before, heading into this whole situation, again, I thought they were a little overrated, but considering that they have three star players and they have not lost any of those star players, I think they're going to be pretty good. I do have some concerns. Like, I still don't see much perimeter defense from this team. I'm not sure where the front court offense is coming from when Brittany Griner sits. Of course, Brittany Griner doesn't sit very often, but this is kind of, this is my main, my main issue with this. Like, I don't think they're ever going to be a good rebounding team with Brittany Griner because Brittany Griner is just such a bad rebounder at the most important rebounding position. And she plays so often. So how are you going to compensate that when Brittany Griner is, is playing 32, 30 minutes a game? You know, like we said before, they finished last in the league in offensive rebounding percentage last season, significantly below the 11th place team, which is Chicago. Like they only grabbed 25% of available offensive rebounds. And then they were 11th in defensive rebounding position. So pretty lousy on, on both ends of that. And I, I hate to single out any one player, but I think, you know, Brittany Griner has to just, she has to get better at rebounding because if you're playing a center who's not good at rebounding that many minutes, it's, it's hard to overcome. But, you know, on the positive side of things, Brittany Griner is a one-woman wrecking crew in the post. That's not going to change. Um, Skylar Diggins-Smith and Shatoy Walker-Kimbrough, at the very least, are going to give them plenty more of those transition opportunities that we are quite literally begging them to do. And again, they've got no players opting out as of yet. So going with 11 players, like it seemed kind of iffy with their depth before, but now it won't seem so bad. They, they don't really have any, like there's really not much for them to compensate for, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you had mentioned uh, something about kind of second unit offense. Let's say they run a backup unit of Shatori, Bria Hartley, Sophie Cunningham, Alana Smith, and Brianna Turner. You know, you're not going to stop anyone, but if you just space the floor around Shatori, Walker, Kimbrough, Brianna Turner pick and rolls, you could, you know, put up some points. On okay. the second unit there, so, but you know the rest of your concerns are de- and and that one too are definitely valid. You know I don't think I'm as concerned with the rebounding as you are, just because you know if you're good at everything else, uh, you know the rebounding I think will will matter a little bit less. But you know if you are the eighth best team in the league and you're a poor rebounder, then like they were last year, you know you're gonna run into some problems. So the front court depth definitely a concern for me. There's no reason for me to think they're not going to be a disaster defending in transition. You know like they were last year forget if we mentioned it or not, but they were last defensively in transition efficiency, you know, despite being only ninth in frequency. So, you know, I agree with you. I think they're going to be probably a top four team considering everything we know right now. We are recording this Monday, July the 6th. It'll probably be out later on this week, but yeah, I think they have with what we know now, probably a little bit of an outside shot to win the championship. If, if everything goes right, if DT is maybe not prime Diana Taurasi, but a valuable contributor and the Skylar Diggins-Smith pairing with Brittany Griner works well and you know they get something out of all the players they they brought in you know let's say four of them work out well and, and they're able to 
play a decent eight man rotation. You know, Sandy Brondell is not going to play 10 players, you know, right. <laughs> she never has, and she probably never will. That's um, very true. So she, ju- we just need a couple of these signings or acquisitions to work out. So yeah, I, I'm definitely a lot higher on them than I was six weeks ago or whatever. So you, we mentioned like we're top four championship contender, or whatever, uh, just to be clear, I think we both think that Seattle is probably, and we're just saying as of now, as of the day we were recording this, Seattle's probably the team to beat, right? I think so. Yeah. And then, I like, mean, second tier Phoenix and Chicago, you would say that's right. Yeah. So I had, you know, LA probably still around that, that top tier with Seattle and Seattle okay. will be the, the team we talk about, you know, next week. So we'll, we'll really get into why we think they're going to be so great, but a lot of it happened in 2018. So there's not yeah. a whole lot to uh, of mystery there, but yeah, I, I think, you know, even if we don't get a, a fully healthy Sue bird, I think they still have enough there. Okay. All right. So we're, we're writing, we're penciling in Phoenix in the second tier for now. Uh, still plenty of time to erase that, but you know, that's just the way things are going right now. And I think Phoenix now is in going into this uh, situation, this season, they're in an enviable position. I would say the good outweighs the bad. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I guess the only thing we haven't touched on are what, do you have any sort of expectations for what Kia Vaughn can bring to this team? Uh, I don't think at this point in her career, probably not. I think she's just there for depth and for uh, the heralded veteran leadership purposes. I mean, throughout her career, I think she's been, she's been seen as like this, a pretty good defensive player who's, you know, got a, a big, strong body who can, who can body people up and, and really impose her will defensively, at least never been much of an offensive threat. She takes a lot of uh, mid range jump shots for a center, but uh, at this point, no, I don't think there's, I don't see any reason for her to play over Brianna Turner or honestly, even Jessica Breland or Elena Smith. I think she's just there for depth reasons. Yeah, I agree with you. Missed last season, did, did not play in 2019. This will be her age 33 season. So, you know, maybe she gives them something, but she's probably, you know, firmly their last option off the bench, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Cool. Anything else? Uh, I think I'm all set. How about you? Yeah, I think we just about covered it. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Please subscribe, rate, and review. You can follow us on Twitter at DoubleDown, WNBA, at Nemchok E, and at Trinkwald. Please feel free to uh, hop in our mentions with any feedback, uh, good or bad. We'd love to hear from you. Anything else you want to add, Eric? Nah, man, I'm just going to second what you said. Uh, please, everyone, thank you so much for listening, and please stay safe and stay healthy out there, and we will catch you on the interwebs. Take care.